<clears throat> my name is Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. Mark Brown. And uh, the first, I would like to uh, thank Kent for uh, asking me to speak, uh, asked me to fulfill my primary purpose. So it's always a pleasure. I want to thank Jesse for doing a great job set, getting me set up and in the meeting. I want to thank uh, Tyler for um, for uh, his uh, his 10 minutes speaking. He did a great job. And like I said, my name is Mark and I'm an alcoholic. And it is only by God's grace that I have 7,802 days of sobriety today. And, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's been, it's been a, you know, it's been a while since I first came to the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I still think about what it means to be an alcoholic. I still think, uh, uh, what it means when I say my name is Mark and I'm an alcoholic, you know, in the, in the uh, first days of my sobriety, it meant it, it meant defeat, right? It meant uh, it meant uh, you know things weren't going my way. And then uh, as I learned more about my my problem, you know, I learned about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And today, you know, when I when I think about what it means to be an alcoholic, you know, it means that uh, you know the way I was created or the way I was put together, or maybe you could even say the way I was born, my natural state is to be inebriated. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's how I was made. You know, I was, or I believe that's how I was made. I was made to be drunk all the time, you know, because, because uh, for many, many years, it's when, uh, it was when I was at my best, uh, you know, and it is when, uh, uh, when things went really well for me for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, um, I firmly believe that I did not drink or use myself into the disease of alcoholism or addiction. You know, I was born, I was born that way. And uh, I think drinking and using is just a symptom of my condition, you know. And uh, alcoholism is a, is a uh, diagnosable, treatable condition. And, uh, you know, and that's why I say it is only by God's grace that I have any sobriety at all, because if I could, if I could make the personality changes to overcome the disease of alcoholism all by myself, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at the Zoom meeting, you know, Kent wouldn't be asking me to speak, you know, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't need to do the things that I've done, uh, to maintain sobriety and, uh, you know, but I can't. You know, and that's why I say it is only by, by God's saving grace that, that I have any sobriety at all. Because only God can save me because only God can change me. It says many times in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we place ourselves beyond all human aid. And uh, in days like today, where we can't meet in the fellowship like we usually do, you know, that's a very big deal. You know, because I still still living under God's grace, you know, I can, I can uh, deal with the changes of not having my regular fellowship, the fellowship I've had for many, many years. And, uh, and even though uh, I don't approve of uh, not, of us not being able to get together personally, you know, I do approve that we keep doing things, you know, to, uh, to maintain our sobriety 
and maintain our wonderful fellowship. So again, I appreciate all of you being here. I appreciate the, the newcomers. Congratulations. You know, that's why there is a, a Sunday night speaker meeting, a Laguna Niguel Sunday night speaker meeting is for newcomers. And, uh, I appreciate that, you know, you know, uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Dr. Silkworth says in the doctor's opinion, that alcoholics are restless, irritable, and discontent until they can feel the ease and comfort that comes by taking a few drinks, you know? And I was restless, irritable, and discontent from birth to 11 years old when I took my first drink of whiskey. And, uh, you know, I loved it. You know, I drank, me and two other 11-year-old boys drank, uh, drank a uh, whiskey. And those those two guys had a normal reaction of an 11-year-old drinking whiskey. They didn't really like it that much. They didn't like the way it tasted. They didn't like the vapor in their heads. They didn't like that nausea, queasy, uh, uh, out-of-control feeling that they got. But I didn't get that feeling. I didn't get that experience that they got. You know, I got an abnormal experience to drinking whiskey, and that was that I loved it, you know, that I had a good time. And when I drank that whiskey, you know, the promises came true for me, you know, uh, you know, the, the fear of economic security, the fear of being alone, all those things went away. And that night I had one of the best nights in my entire life. And, uh, it was great. And, uh, you know, as an 11 year old, I started to have, I started to exhibit the signs of the obsession of alcoholism by not doing my schoolwork or other things like that. And thinking more about how uh, a guy that's 11 years old looks like he's nine is going to get some more whiskey or whatever it is he, he could possibly get to drink. And, uh, you know, that was quite a chore, but I managed to do it. And, uh, you know, at the age of 16, <clears throat> I became a daily user and drinker and uh, for 24 years, you know, uh, straight. I was never without a drink or a drug. I was never... Uh, uh, really quite sober for those 24 years. And uh, at the, at the, at 40 years old, uh, you know, I was uh, at the Lamoureux Family Law Center with my wife and kids. And uh, the judge there asked me <clears throat> why it was I drank the way I did, you know, and uh, never hearing about alcoholism, not knowing anything about alcoholism, you know, uh, nobody told me anything about alcoholism. Uh, you know, I told the judge, you know, if you were married to her, Your Honor, you would drink like I do too, you know. And uh, she didn't think that was funny. And uh, she sent me to uh, the county health agency's uh, psychiatrist. And uh, he took a look at me. And uh, he said, Mark, you're an alcoholic. So I can't help you. You, you need to do two things need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and you need to quit drinking. You don't need to do them in that order. You know, he goes, but you do need to do both things. And, uh, and you need to do that by, you know, our next meeting, you know, and uh, I didn't do it. And I, I didn't do it. You know, my disease told me that I could not live without alcohol. You know, my disease told me that life without alcohol would be like one long dental appointment, you know, like season tickets to hell, you know, like pushing a rock up a hill for the rest of my life, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't do what that guy told me to do, uh, you know, and uh, so he, 
you know, finally he told the judge, he's not, he's not cooperating. So the judge started to make rules for my life, you know, and uh, I didn't like that. But finally, you know, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, I quit drinking. I quit drinking and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, had a horrible time with that and, uh, you know, uh, became very emotionally, mentally, and physically unstable. And, uh, and uh, when I showed up for my appointment, he said, look, Mark, he goes, you're an alcoholic. He goes, uh, he goes, the reason you're having such a difficulty without alcohol is because you've never really lived life without alcohol. And he goes, if you don't go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you'll never learn how to live life, you know. And, uh, you know, finally, uh, on December 14th, uh, 1990, I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you know, and uh, it, it looked just like exactly I thought an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting would look like. A bunch of old guys, grouchy, you know, and uh, and uh, grumbly. And, uh, you know, uh, the first guy I met there said his name was Peter and he had 19 years of sobriety. And I thought to myself, what a liar. Nobody could stay sober 19 years. Who the hell would want to? You know, I want to stay sober long enough to get the judge off my butt and get this heat off my uh off of me and uh, go back to the mark plan because I thought it was working really well for me, you know, and what I didn't really realize, you know, at that time was that really I was a complete failure in every aspect of my life. You know, I was a failure as a father. I was a failure as a husband. I was a failure as a son, as a brother, as a man, as a businessman, and as a drunk. I was a failure in every aspect of that life. And, uh, you know, but Peter, Peter told his story to me, and I realized that, you know, in the beginning of it, you know, that he, he told a story that he was an engineer for Boeing and, and uh, that he wound up living in a dumpster in Mission Viejo. And, uh, you know, I saw the similarities of where I was at that point in my life to, to where he was before he, he got to living in that dumpster. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I'm not living in a dumpster. You know, I got I got a home, I got a business, I have two cars, a swimming pool. You know, this you know I can't be as bad as this guy. And uh, you know, but uh, I didn't really think I needed Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I was attending meetings, and uh, you know, I was just attending enough meetings to get the psychiatrist happy, so the judge would be happy, and. Uh, you know, it wasn't really working out to me, you know, for me that well. And really, my life uh, started a spiral downhill. I met my bottom in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, through the lack of alcohol, drugs and alcohol, my life became really um, very bad. My customers, five of my customers took out a restraining order against me. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I had to take what's her name to the uh, to the psychiatrist meeting with me one day, and she goes, "For 20 years, I prayed every day that he would quit drinking. Now that he stopped, I wish he would start again." You know, and uh, you know, and because it's hell, it's hell living with him. And uh, she goes, uh, 
she had no idea. Everybody was, you know, uh, just at their wits end, you know, and, uh, you know, a psychiatrist looked at me and he said, did you get a sponsor? Are you going to meetings? Are you doing the things in alcohol? I said, you know, I'm going to those meetings, you know, that's all I need to do is show up to a few of those meetings, you know? And, uh, he said, I think you should go more to more meetings than what you're going to. And I said, well, I'll think about it. And the next meeting I go to this old guy comes up to me and he, he says, I think you should go to 90 meetings in 90 days, you know? And I go, why the hell would I want to go to 90 meetings in 90 days? You know, I'm way too busy. I said, you know, I got a business. I, I don't have time to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And he said, you know, Mark, here in Orange County, we have over 2,000 meetings a week. He goes, if you can't find a meeting to go to every day, you don't really want to go to a meeting. He said, tell you what, go to a meeting with me tomorrow, right? Tomorrow was Monday. I went to a meeting with him on Monday, and I, be, I became the coffee guy to that meeting right? He said, go to a meeting with me tomorrow, uh, Tuesday. And I said, sure. I went, to the, I went to the meeting on Tuesday and I got a commitment. On Wednesday, I got a commitment. On Thursday, a commitment. On Friday, he took me down to the Rebels meeting on Heliotrope and he introduced me to a guy named Steve. And Steve said, Mark, how would you like to be the chairman of this meeting? And I thought to myself, Finally, somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous that recognized my leadership abilities. I said, heck yeah, Steve, I'd love to be the chairman of this meeting. He goes, great. There's 125 chairs over there. Set them up over here. When the meeting's done, put them back. <laughs> you know, and I don't know how that old guy thought that, uh, you know, that if he got me a commitment to every day of the week except for Sunday, that that would get me to go to those meetings, but it worked. I went to, I didn't go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to 124 meetings in 90 days. And in that 90 days, I really fell in love with uh, the people of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really started to uh, gain an interest in the literature of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it, and it was those two things that really not saved my life, but gave me a life, you know, because uh, really before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I really wasn't living a life worth living. You know, I was just existing. I was just, I was just, uh, you know, uh, floating by uh, in the stream of life and not really contributing anything to, the, uh, to this world, really. And, um, you know, what happened is, uh, you know, in that 90 days, you know, this old guy tried to convince me that alcoholism was a disease and that I had it. And, uh, you know, I didn't think that uh, that, that was true. I thought Alcoholics was Alcoholics Anonymous was okay. It was cool, and uh, I love uh, and I really started to enjoy some of the people inside of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I really didn't think that I was powerless over alcohol. You know that it was that one drink because I had spent many many years, you know, trying to limit the number of drinks. You know, I spent many years talking about what was read today in. Uh, in chapter three, more about alcoholism, you know, limiting the number of drinks was my favorite thing. You know, I would wake up in the morning with a horrible hangover, blinking and breathing were a new experience of pain. And, you know, I said, you know, it was those last eight or nine drinks that got me, you know, today I'm only going to drink three drinks, you know, and, uh, you know, I was very serious about that. When, when I pulled into my liquor store and picked up three drinks, 
and drank those on the way home, you know, and uh, continued drinking when I got home, you know. And uh, I never really understood, you know, why I couldn't control and enjoy my drinking until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. It was, uh, it wasn't until, uh, until him and I were at a noon meeting uh, at the Saddleback Valley Club. And, uh, you know, there was a lady there that shared that, uh, you know, there was a half a bottle of wine in the fridge and her husband was at work and the kids were at school and she could have one little drink and nobody would know, you know, but she came to this meeting instead and everybody was really happy for her except for this old grump that was with me. Right. And so he shared next and he goes, the idea that I could have one little anything is ridiculous. If I could have one little drink, I wouldn't need to come to these meetings. And I came to the realization at that time that I had the disease of alcoholism because the words, no thank you, I've had enough, never crossed my lips. You know, that since my very first drink, I've been drinking abnormally and out of control. And uh, I had uh, drank myself into blackout and pass out every night for at least seven years. And, uh, you know, and at that end of that 90 days, I really have no recollection of how horrible the detox process was for me. I had completely forgotten how bad of a deal that was for me to do. And, uh, you know, I realized how powerful this disease was at that, at that point. And uh, I told that, that old guy that he was my sponsor and that I was going to do everything that he told me to do until we got to the third step. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then that's when uh, I started to dig my heels in, you know, uh, I really, uh, my folks, nobody in my family was very religious, you know, uh, we never, I had really no experience in dealing uh, with religion or a power greater than myself or God, you know, I married a very religious woman and, uh, but, uh, you know, I really didn't pay attention to the things that she was doing. And, uh, you know, uh, and I thought that, that they were all pretty nuts. And, uh, you know, what happened is, uh, you know, that old guy explained to me in the big book where it says, you know, we turned our, li our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. You know, uh, you know, I I thought that step sounded mysterious and ethereal, something that might work for me and something that might not, you know? And uh, he explained to me that my will was this thinking machine, you know, this marvelous piece of meat that I got between my ears. He explained to me that that thing had been recording everything I had sensed since before birth. It, just, it recorded everything that I felt, I, I heard, I spoke, I read, I touched, I smelled. Every experience that I've had is recorded up in here, and I use those experiences to make decisions. And those decisions, uh, the, uh, the combined consequences of those decisions made my life. Really, my life was a living hell at that point. You know, uh, you know, the kids hated me. My wife wanted a divorce. The judge wanted to throw me in jail. And the, uh, and the psychiatrist I was seeing uh, was thought my life was pretty funny and uh, very entertaining. So, uh, you know, things weren't really going for me the way I wanted, but still the, uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous gave me hope. 
And that's why I'm really here today is to tell you that this thing works and to give you the hope that you can recover <clears throat> just like Tyler's recovered, just like Kent's recovered, just like I've recovered, you know, that, uh, that this thing works, you know? And, uh, so I said, well, how do I do this? How do I make this decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as, as I understand him? And he said, well, Mark, he said, uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you give me all the, all of your worldly goods? Give me your bank account, your cars, your business, your home, give that for me to control. Right. And I said, no way. And he said, how come? I said, well, I really don't know you that well. I've only known you for like about a hundred days, you know? And, uh, and he goes, that's the way your life is with God. You have no idea what God can or cannot do. You've been given some childish idea of what God is. And he said, now it's time for you to make a new, a new understanding of what God is and a new idea of what God is. And you're going to do that by clearing away your old ideas and the wreckage of your past. And he said, so just be willing to let God take over your thinking and therefore take over your actions. And, uh, I said, okay, why not? You know, how do I do that? You know, and, uh, you know, because I'd heard this in meeting for days, you know, for, and I never really understood it. You know, these, these old guys would say, well, you got to turn it over to your higher power, kid. I said, well, I did that. And a sheriff came over to my house, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, they would just look at me, you know, and uh, I never really understood how to turn my will and my life over to care of God or turn it over to my higher power or to let go or let God. And this guy told me the secret and it's very simple. Think about God instead of thinking about your problem, right? It's as simple as that. When I think about the problem, I'm working in the problem. But when I think about God, I'm working in the solution and the solution grows. If I think about the problem, my problem magnifies and grows. You know, but if I think about God instead, you know, whatever aspect of God I want, you know, or whatever I come to understand God as, if I think of it instead of instead of my problem, my problem diminishes and the solution increases ever so slightly at times, but in a greater portion at many times, you know. And uh, so after that, I started to uh, to make a daily uh, the daily use of the third step prayer and, uh, and started on my fourth step right away. And uh, I procrastinated on that also, you know, and I threw up a lot of excuses until one day he said, what's, you know, what's the problem? I said, well, I can't really think of anybody to put on this list. Right. I said, uh, I really, I'm a lover, not a hater, you know? And uh, he goes, he goes, Mark, why don't you start by making a list of all the people that screwed you over? And I said, well, I got that list right here in my pocket, you know, and uh, you know, that's as easy. A lot of people make a, or I did, I made a big deal about the fourth step, but starting the fourth step is easy as making a list of the people you hate. You know, it's easy as making a list of the people that screwed you over. It's easy as making a list of all the people that have wronged you throughout your life, you know, and, uh, you know, when I completed that step and the fifth step, 
you know, uh, you know, uh, what the big book says that I feel the, the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. I can look the people in the eye. Uh, I found that to be true. Uh, I started to forget what the tops of my shoes look like because I spent a lot of time before that looking down at my shoes and uh, started to be able to look people in the eye when I saw them at meeting or uh, my customers or other people. And uh, it really was uh, eye-opening to me, you know. But uh, the other thing that was eye-opening to me was the amount of character defects that I had, you know. I became uh, under the opinion that I was a walking, talking character defect and that I really had no, uh, no positive attributes at all, which, uh, which this old guy, you know, told me that I did, you know, um, you know, for those days and when I was a young guy in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, all the old guys would tell me, you know, about uh, the fourth and fifth step and, uh, you know, how important they were and uh, they are important, but really it was the sixth and seventh step that really frightened me because once I started to look at how I've been living my life, you know, for the last 40 years and uh, how I'd been doing things, you know, I started to uh, think just like I thought in the beginning that I couldn't live without drugs or alcohol. I started to think that there's no way I can live without these defects. There's no way that I can be honest and earn a living. You know, there's no, there's no way that I can, uh, that I can, uh, you know, uh, go through life without cheating people. And I came to the realization that really I used dishonesty, anger, rage, and the threat of violence to get through life. And, uh, you know, I thought that without that, without that, uh, those character defects that I would not be able to get the things that I want and needed in this world, you know, and, um, you know, it was explained to me that, you know, that the principles that God would replace my defects with would do better in life than those character defects and that God would automatically write a principle in my head in the same amount, that I would work into trying to remove those character defects. If I remove fear and anger and frustration and violence with love and tolerance and uh, patience, right, would be given to me, you know, by God to, to handle my life. And you know what? I found that to, I found that to be very true. I found that really in this program, God does almost all of the work, you know, and really, I'm just getting out of my, I'm just getting myself out of God's way to make the personality changes sufficient enough to overcome the disease of alcoholism. And, uh, you know, that's what really happened for me. And that's where I really fell in love with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, uh, and, uh, and the people, uh, you know, that came before me and, uh, and my sponsor at that time, you know, because of the wisdom to allow, to allow God to do the work instead of the people, uh, you know, who have agendas or anything like that, you know, for, for them, for God to change me into a, a purposeful uh, human being was really 
was a blessing for me. And, uh, you know, I'm really happy to be here and uh, tell you about that miracle, you know, miracle that, uh, that, you know, uh, you know, that God does all the work in this program. You know, it says in page 55 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the three things that block us from God, right? It tells us that, that, uh, that uh, uh, pomp, calamity, and the worship of other things block us from God. And today we would say pride, crisis, and, and the worship or thinking of other things block us from the power of God. And, uh, you know, I firmly believe that, you know. And, excuse me. Thank you. I believe that, you know, when, when I do the things to remove those, those things, pride, crisis, worrying about crisis, and, the, and thinking of other things and think of God instead, you know, when I do that, then I'm able to be useful to mankind. I'm able to be useful to others, you know, and I get to be, when I'm useful to others, I get to think of, uh, you know, I get to fulfill my primary purpose. You know, my primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety, you know, and, and through this being able to be useful, I become contented and happy instead of restless, irritable, and discontent. I become contented, peaceful, and serene. And, uh, you know, really those things are the things that, uh, that make this life a great life. You know, not the other successes that I've had, but the success of being able to witness this miracle through other people. Not myself, but through people in the program, through people in the meetings, you know. And so... So I'm very blessed and, uh, and uh, very happy, you know, to, uh, you know, to be able to participate in the, in the miraculous recovery, you know, in people in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's been, uh, it's been really a true thing. You know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, everybody in my entire life, everybody in my world, right, had a problem with alcohol or had a problem with somebody that had a problem with alcohol. And today, almost 100% of the people in my life are in program, you know, uh, you know and are recovering. And, uh, you know, that didn't happen by design. It just uh, seemed to happen that way. But uh, it really makes my life really worth living. You know, Alcoholics has, a, has its triangle, you know, service, recovery, unity, service, and recovery. I have my own personal triangle, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's sponsor, sobriety date, and home group, you know. If I have a sponsor, you know, I have somebody to talk, you know, I have somebody to give my, uh, give my inventory to, somebody keeps me set on the path and explains to me how things are, you know, sobriety date. If I keep that sobriety date, I don't have to get a new one. If I, if I, re if I remember, you know, what it took to get sober. And I do that by, by being of service to others, you know, because I got a great forgetter. I can forget that I'm an alcoholic. I can forget what it's like, you know, and that's why I love going to meetings and, uh, and doing things in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, you know, the other is the home group, you know, 
I get it to be with a bunch of people, you know, that, uh, you know, if I miss a couple of meetings, they're on the phone. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? And, uh, you know, the other is, is, uh, you know, uh, I get a place to be a service and be responsible and accountable to. So I love those things. And, uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, I think it's just about time for me to give it up. So I want to say that, you know, today, that old guy, he, told, he gave me this thing to do. I was to do four things every day to stay sober, you know, call some other alcoholics, go to a meeting, pray, uh, do a commitment, things like that, you know. And I still do that. I still set my sights on doing three or four things every day to stay sober. And one of those things was to come and speak at this meeting today. So that means you guys are a big part of my, my sobriety today. You guys are, are a big part of day number 8,702. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much.